just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show or welcome back if you are a repeat offender. If you're subscribed to the show, thank you so much. If you're not yet subscribed to the show, please do consider subscribing. It's easy to do and I've got amazing guests lined up right through to the end of this year and soon we'll have guests lined up into next year as well. This year is going to be a big focus on influence and persuasion stuff. I've got a professor of rhetoric coming on very soon. That's going to be very exciting as well as people are going to help you if you're looking to become more of a professional paid speaker. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. Now this show started off as a Toastmasters project just a few years ago and it's grown. It's just kept going since then. I'm still here, still making the shows and I will keep making the shows as long as anyone is there still keeping listening. And I want the show to grow, of course. You can help with that by sharing the show with people in your network. Share the shows that you love and let us know that you love them as well. You can leave reviews. That helps people to know that it's a great podcast to come and check out. You can do that very easily on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser and that's gonna direct people to the show. So you can really play your part there, but now you can support the show financially as well. So if you would like to help with things like my current goal of getting a microphone upgrade, then check out my Supercast page. You can see there's a way you can support me by buying me a coffee each month, or you can support me by buying one of the membership levels where you can actually get access to exclusive content. You are gonna have access to the live streams with the guests and to exclusive Q&A time to get put your questions to the guests that I have coming on the show, as well as advanced information for who's coming up so that you can make sure you tune in as and when. When I first started the show, I knew I wanted to talk about public speaking and presentation skills and my other passion, which is tools of influence and persuasion. And those two things, fortunately for me, marry very well together. Since that time, my ethos for the show has really solidified to being a show where not only do I talk about influence and persuasion and helping people to improve their influence and persuasion in communication in general, not just from the platform, but in all of their lives and within an ethical framework to also being able to empower people to understand when influence and persuasion is being used on them so that you can perhaps protect yourself and have some awareness that someone else might not be working to your best interest and might actually be using particular influence and persuasion tactics on you. So I see this as being part of my mission to empower people to understand influence and persuasion, to use it in that ethical framework and to help prevent it being abused, especially on yourself. Now, with that said, today's show is actually about introversion for the most part. And my guest, John Baker, is an expert on this, working with companies around the UK to help them make the most of their introverts in the workforce and make sure that things aren't being left on the table, that people aren't being ignored, passed over, and that everybody's voice is getting heard. There's a lot of power in introversion. But often it's the extroverts who get heard more, tend to be the louder people, the people who think whilst they're speaking and the introverts are sat there thinking about what they're going to say and often getting passed on altogether. Now I'm naturally an introvert and many of you will be too. I know a lot of people in presentations and public speaking are naturally introverted. Don't worry if you're not, there's plenty here for you as well. But I've pushed myself now to be more of an ambivert. I can be very extroverted in certain situations to a point where some people would not believe you if I tell them that I'm more naturally introverted. Now that's fine, but John has a very interesting take on this, that introverts shouldn't have to change themselves and that the thing we can all do in our professional environments particularly to make sure that 
voices aren't being left unheard and that introverts can be brought out more because it isn't just extroverts who make great leaders. Introverts can as well. And sometimes, okay, maybe in different ways, but let's not leave those things aside altogether for the people who are more noticed because they are the loudest and they're the ones who are always happy to let everybody know what they're doing. Well, the people who are perhaps keeping their heads down and just doing a great job and hoping and waiting to be recognized for that are getting passed over and ignored. We also got onto talking about networking. And John has written a book about that as well. And of course, we talk about that as it relates to introverts as well. I know you'll enjoy this conversation. It took us a few goes to actually get the recording due to various hitches that kept coming up. We persisted and we're bringing you a great show. So today's the two Johns or the two Johnnies. I hope you will enjoy the show. If you do, let us know. Welcome to Speaking Influence, the show that's all about empowering tomorrow's influential speakers and leaders today. Many podcasters now agree that live streaming is the future of podcasting. If you want to get started with live streaming, my recommendation and the channel I use is Restream.io. Check the link in the show notes and after your first live stream, you will receive a $10 Restream cashback. Well, they say third time's the charm, and so let's hope that that's true, because uh, given technical issues we had trying to do this recording a few times before, we are going for it for the third time. So I'm very happy to welcome to Speaking Influence, John Baker. Hi, it's fantastic to be here, as you say, again. But um, I'm really looking forward to it, going all the way this time. Let's hope so, huh? So last time, it's such a shame, because so much of the stuff you were saying last time was so good and it just wasn't captured. It didn't record properly and, and the audio cut off and all sorts of things. It was, uh, this time hopefully we'll have none of that and, uh, we'll get to hear all the good I've stuff. I've just got to sound intelligent so, yet again. <laughs> I don't think you'll have too much problem given last time. Sorry, it was such an interesting conversation and I don't know if, well, we can do our best to recapture some of that. Absolutely. I, I know it won't be exactly, exactly as it was. They never come out the same way twice, mm. right? But John, you, you have some incredible insights and stuff that I've really not heard people talking about before. I've had people on the show talk about introversion, but you have some very unique perspectives on that as well, if not unique, unique to what I've come across before in the past that I found truly fascinating. And part of what you do professionally is helping businesses bridge this gap that they're missing out because they're not recognizing or utilizing introverted people really well. So for our audience who aren't already familiar with this, can you tell us a bit more about what you do and, and what you've been working on in that area? Absolutely. So I, a couple of years ago, I started writing a book, which I haven't yet finished. I wrote two others on the way, but the book was around introversion. And to do that, I spent a lot of time researching and I interviewed 350, 400 business people. One of the things that we always talked about was productivity and were they as productive as they ought to be and it turns out that about a third slightly more people are not fully productive and they'll they might not admit that to their boss but they will admit that quietly and by the way i've followed that up with lots of other discussions with hr and people in phase two of my research and they absolutely buy into that number so that's kind of scary because i was i sat right. there and going so in a business, we will invest, we'll build a business case to try and get a 5% improvement in productivity. And yet here we are having a third or more of our people not properly productive, which struck me as a bit shocking, especially when the next thing I did in these conversations was to say, what's going on? What causes the problem? And of course, there's like you'd expect, there's many, many problems, but the most common areas where things are going wrong is where you've got a, a meeting of Company communication styles, not suiting people. Company culture, we could talk about that one forevermore. But where those two overlap with introversion. And essentially, if you think about it, company culture and communication styles are both leadership issues. The leadership determines the way that works. And so leads me to sit there and say the leadership of many firms is throwing away up to a third of their productivity just Probably, and by speaking to many leaders, it becomes clear they're not doing it deliberately because you'd have to be a bit mad to throw away that much productivity. 
but it's due to a lack of knowledge about introversion. So that's what got, got me started on this path. So then I started to sit there and say, well, how can we go about this? How can we recognize some of the, the introverts around? How can we understand them more? But most importantly, what is it that's going wrong and how can we start to improve the way that uh, they can work with us? Yeah, absolutely. So that would be a, a good place to start because maybe to really define our terms and get clear on what we're talking about when we talk about introversion. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So there's, as you say, there's many, many uh, definitions that float around. However, the two that I find really useful are energy and processing. So let me unpack that a little bit further. People energy is what I often call it. So that's where, where introverts will feel de-energized and lose, lose energy when they're with lots of people. And the more people they're with and the less they know them, they'll lose more energy. It's a bit like, it's a bit, do you remember the old Nokia 3310? It was one of my first mobile phones, but. <laughs> I, I okay. Do, yes. And so you charge it up for ages quietly at home or in the office. And then, of course, the time you go out and expect it to start talking to you, you'd see this battery thing. And with introverts, it can be very similar to that. A, you're going to energize by being quietly at home or quietly in the office. But B, you're never quite sure how long that battery will last. Whereas extroverts will become energized by being with a large group of people. So you've got this the energy thing going on, first of all. And the reason I say this one is because it, it has implications for the way we manage people, the way we manage meetings. And it also is what, what I would say is one of the defining points about introversion. The second one that I think is really useful is processing. And to be more precise, it's internal processing or external processing. So what do I mean? I mean the way we think. Introverts tend to be internal processors ask a question and they'll think about the answer they're trying to create the most accurate the most well structured the most complete answer they can as opposed to an extrovert who will ask that same question and words come flying almost back out straight away one's internally processing and the other is externally processing an extrovert will talk to think and an introvert will think to talk now, neither is mm. wrong or right or good or bad. They're just different. But think about the implications, again, for the way we manage our teams and especially manage our meetings. Because the reason I wrote a book about business meetings is because that's where the culture and the communication things, with together with the introversion, happens in so many places. And it's a key place where business gets done or doesn't. Yeah. And so the focus that people tend to have on introversion, and I know we've talked about this before, is much more on introverts changing in order to fit the workplace rather than mm. the workplace changing in order to fit the, the introverts or to make the most out of the introverts. So you come at it from that perspective. And that's great because you know, I, I know that I am someone who's very naturally introverted, although Having done a lot of work on that, I feel that I've moved the needle and pushed myself into the ambivert sector now where I, I still do very well with large groups and I can find that energizing. But I still really like to take myself away and have some quiet time and, and energize by myself. So I find that both can work for me, but I still probably form more on the introvert side. So I'm, I'm really pleased to hear this. And I've certainly had those kinds of experiences in the workplace. So where do you start to do work with people on making some changes? Well, I think that the first thing I'm just going to touch on, because you, you said something that's really important, there's many people who will sit there and say things like, and I've heard it myself, and I've spoken to lots of introverts who've said similar, where the leader, their manager, will just tell them, just get over it, just go out and do, just speak up, just well, actually, it doesn't come that easily. So I think we've got to start with that starting point. And that's why, as you rightly said, I think that rather than just expecting the introvert to change, actually, surely as a good leader, we ought to be thinking about all of our team and how to manage to get the best out of all of them. All I'm really saying is, look, about a third of people are introverted. Let's put a bit of focus on how to manage them, how to change yourself in order to manage them. So I think the first thing is where that comes from. 
then I think the other thing I'll just quickly touch on before we get into some of the things you might do is is a couple of myths that follow through because introverts are not shy. That one comes up time and time again. And so if you're sitting there saying you've got somebody who is shy, that doesn't mean that they're introverted. Shyness is, if you like, a fear, a timidity, an uncomfortable, depending on how shy you are, of being in talking in groups of people. Whereas introversion, as we said, is about energy and about processing. Mm. So shyness, not there. Introverts are not antisocial. They socialize differently. Introverts will have tend to have fewer closer friends. They also, out of interest, like being part of a cohesive small team. So this idea that introverts want to work alone, no, they value, or many of them value, because there'll always be exceptions, but many of them value being part of a cohesive team. Not one of these teams where you bung together loads of people and just say, oh, get on with it, but a cohesive team. So again, as a leader, how are you managing your team so that the whole team respects each other and can work together? Yeah. So I think those are a couple yeah. of points that are just just worth bringing out first. So, So then what can we do? Well, I think the first thing I'd always sit there and say is to think about the way we're communicating and give people time and make it okay for them to use what I'll call the introvert processing gap. Now, that doesn't mean that introverts are slow. That doesn't mean that they're doing things. But here's how quite often things go. And I've, I've been in this myself as well. So some year, in fact, real life example, some years ago, I used to work in a a team of, well, there was about six of us in total. I was the franchise manager for the north of the UK, my colleague for the south. We didn't see each other face-to-face very often, and about once a week, he'd give me a call. Hi, John, how you doing? Haven't seen you for ages. Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. I, and then note that little gap. While I thought about what I was going to say. Wow, that's brilliant. Well, I've had a great week too. And then he'd spiel off half a dozen things that he'd been up to in that week. He'd met the mayor, his franchisees had won the walls, they'd got the best sales ever and, and all this kind of stuff. Half of which, by the way, I'd heard the week before. Anyway, I was just ringing up to see how you was. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I, again, there's a little processing gap. Fantastic. And then he'd go into it again. And and what was he doing? What he's doing is an extrovert. They tend not to like gaps in the conversation. They tend to fill them. Introverts are quite happy with gaps in the conversation. So Mm. number one is I'm leaving a gap because it's my natural style and he's jumping in in it because it's his natural style. So as I said, this isn't about good and bad, but it is about realizing the implications because what was he doing? Subconsciously, he's training me. He's not interested in my answer. So what am I doing? I'm not going to talk. So when I say that we've got to encourage introverts, first of all, we've got to make it okay for them to talk. We've got to give them the space, the gift of time to leave that gap there, become comfortable with that that short gap. And at first, they may still not answer because for a long time you've been training them not to bother. Okay, so now we ask the question, perhaps in a slightly different way, but we ask the question and wait for the answer. And perhaps again, just gently probe in to get the answer. But the second you start answering for them, as so many leaders do, immediately the, the engagement is switched off because immediately they're going, no, not interested anymore. So I think the first thing is the, mm-hmm. this gift of time and just being aware of that processing gap. And then, of course, that happens in all sorts of other locations too. So mentioned meetings earlier on. Very often people will say to me, John, I've got these two quiet people in my team and they never, ever speak up. I just wish they'd share more stuff with me. Okay, I say, that's really interesting. Tell me a bit more. And inevitably, well, there's these two over here that never shut up. And so, again, what we've got going on is we've got a lot of extroverts in the room or some extroverts in the room and they're talking and introverts will tend not to bother trying to butt into the conversation. They'll add when they've got something of value to add. But of course, blah, 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 going from this end. So number one, you've got to be able to hold back the people that talk a lot. Now, if that's yourself, as the first example I gave you, or you've got to, in meetings and the like, you've got to be able to hold back some of the the more talkative ones. Number of ways you could do that, of course. You could just say, thanks, Fred. I just want to hear from somebody else. 
That's a very blunt way of doing it. And of course, yes, it does work. It's a facilitation skill. Other simple tips in meetings could be, I'm going to ask a question and I want everybody to answer it, but you're only going to get 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes, whatever it is. Now start with one or two of these that love talking, but stop them on the time. And then go on to some of the quieter members of the team, because what you've now given is the quieter members of the team time to process their thoughts. At which point it's not that they don't want to engage, but giving them that time, they now can contribute. As you now start to get all of the team contributing, you've got more of the team engaged and you'll get a much more resilient solution because as you get some of them engaged, more of them engaged and joining in, it becomes a better thing. I think Mm. the other one that I've heard of, I mean, as trainers, and and I bet as a trainer at times you've done this yourself, John, you've gone, okay, everybody, post-it notes. You know, the old thing with trainers get you to write an answer on post-it notes, stick it up on the wall. It's a great technique in ways that we didn't know insofar as it's great technique because it holds back those louder ones and everybody writes something down. So you're encouraging the introverts to join in. Once the notes are up on the wall, we can swap them around. We can, um, again, the whole team's engaged. It's that initial engagement that works well in remote meetings. You can use things like word clouds on Mentimeter or Google's Jamboard. So everyone can add their stuff at the same time, but it's written and silent. So that, that can work incredibly well too. And I've lost the plot because there was another example of that one, but we might have to come back to that. Okay, but that's great. I mean, I, I think anyone who's introverted can certainly probably have awareness of that kind of experience in, in a workplace situation, especially if you've worked in any kind of company, corporate situations uh, where there's been meetings and you perhaps haven't had the opportunity to say what's on your mind because you're quietly hoping that someone will come to you or that you won't get interrupted by the people who love speaking. And uh, yeah, it's a very common thing. So it would be nice. It would be nice to see those things change more in corporate culture in general. Do you think that's something that's happening and more people are having awareness of? Um, Well, I'm going to say yes, because I'm out there trying to change it, but joking to one side. Yeah. I think that slowly, slowly, slowly people are starting to realize that a having a wider group of people having a wider input a richer discussion is a much better way to come up and answer questions and come up with decisions especially in a team otherwise you're just not using the value of a team it's like the number of people who have meetings for no real purpose and we all know it wastes time i see that happening less and less he says, apart from, no. I think it reversed itself in the last year. I think because it was easy just to put ourselves on Zoom, everyone started going back to having meetings again. And I hope, cross fingers, that we don't return to that as we all start returning to the office. So simple yeah. answer, I think slowly it's beginning to dawn on people. But I think it's, bearing in mind, it was never, well, I hope it was never deliberate. I think it's just this understanding and it's starting to understand the implications of the way we act and the way we manage our teams. Yeah, that, that's important. I, and I wonder, some of what I've experienced through online meetings has been people are seemingly becoming better at managing those with the experience of the last year, that the more of them we're doing, the better. So a lot of people have actually become more efficient mm. because of them and also started to waste less time because generally when they go on a zoom call people aren't really hanging about you're not necessarily waiting for somebody to turn up so you you just get on with it and do what you're there to do so whilst there may be some people going down the direction of more meetings i think uh what i've seen at least is is people starting to become more effective with those and that it seems to sometimes give because a lot of people are on mute give people those opportunities to have more control over who's speaking when yeah i think that's the the functionality, if I can put it like that, of many of the meetings has got better. And so I think the decently run meetings have become better, but I think there's a, a huge number that don't. So just because it's on Zoom, I see a lot more people talking over people. So the the, the whole lag thing between the mic kicking in and or the earphones kicking out and the mic kicking in sometimes makes it harder to jump in and butt into conversations. So I think it really is about doing exactly as you said and 
controlling the conversation more when it's online. And also, I think that there's the simple fact that we've got to work together much more. We've got to use some of the technology to really help us rather than just just try and replicate exactly what we used to do in an offline situation. Yeah. Yeah, things I wish we could we could all get a bit better at. But it's good to see, and it's good to know that there are people like you out there who are aiming to make a change in those sorts of environments. What perhaps are some of the things that each of us can do if we're not running the meeting or if we're in an actual in-person meeting and things that somebody isn't really going to share? How can we help? I think one of the great things we can do there is actually help people. So quite often, if I'm in a meeting, I'm not running it and somebody asks me a question. So I've got my bit of airtime, shall we say. And I can, a couple of things that introverts are great at doing. Introverts are very good at listening. They tend to be very good listeners. And therefore, although they don't always practice it, they're great summarizers, which a summary in any form of meeting allows you to bring everything together. Now, you can then head it off in any direction from there. You can go back to some points that weren't clear. And I'll quite often use summary, and I'd invite any of the listeners to do this one. Listen, summarize, and then and Fred made a great point about that earlier, and it links back and allows Fred to come back into the discussion because I've already got the airtime. I can constructively, I can rather than just going, oh, Fred, I can lead Fred in, I can build him back in, I can say the good points of what he said, and then, which has allowed him to do some thinking first, and then bring him in. So we can bring people in and link people in, the quiet people, link them into the conversation because that's going to make the whole conversation better. And we can all do that regardless yeah. of where, whether we're running the meeting or not. I remember from our previous conversation that you had said that with perhaps with the exception of accountancy, there are some issues around introverted people rising up to leadership positions these days. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I, well, first of all, there's um, a number of articles, and I can't remember the last one I saw, but there's a number of articles that show that extroverts tend to have the better paid job. So you might all be doing the same job and extroverts tend to be more rewarded for it. That's not to say they're doing it better, but I think perhaps they're, they're not shouting for it as loud. I was talking to a negotiation expert who I'm chatting with later on today, and he's actually going to give me a load of tips for introverts to use in negotiation, bearing in mind that introverts tend not to want to go out and, and shout about themselves. It's not in the definition, but it's one of those things they tend not to do. So, yeah, I think the the first thing is to be aware of the fact that you know, that just tends to happen. I think there's an extrovert bias, if I'm honest, in society, particularly business society. Mm. We assume that loud is confident and that confident is good. Well, confident has got nothing to do with being loud. I can be internally confident without having to go out and show off about it. I can know that it's the right answer. I can be very confident in my answer. It doesn't mean I've got to be doing all this, this shouting stuff. And so I think very often we assume that the loud people are confident and, and they're the ones that get promoted. I think we've got to challenge some of the bias that exists and just make ourselves stop and ask, hang on, am I doing going with that because X, Y, Z said it? Am I going with that because it was said loudly? Or should I be encouraging some of the other people to speak up and, and helping some of the introverts in the yeah. team to speak. I, I can't help but wonder if there, if over the world that there is this whole sort of seething pool of resentment from introverts who are being passed over and missed out upon. And because primarily they're keeping quiet, keeping their heads down, getting on with their work and waiting to be recognized. And of course, that's not really how things work. And as you say, that's probably why there is such a strong extrovert bias. The people who are quite happily putting their hands up or get, rubbing shoulders with uh, senior managers and likes, letting everyone know what they've been doing and how great they are at what they're doing are the ones who are getting noticed. Uh, and that's probably uh, recency bias mm -hmm. as much as anything else. But, but there's all these people who are doing great work and perhaps not being valued and recognized for it in the way that they would hope for. And that's a real problem for anyone in business. If you have people working for you who don't feel valued and recognized, in the long run, they're probably going to look for an opportunity where they will be. Absolutely right. And the way I've often said it is 
confidence, and that's quite often the loud stuff, is not the same as competence. And yet the two seem to get mixed up time and time again. Yeah. People focus on the wrong things, the superficial mm. rather than the profound, yep, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that that's the way the world seems to roll. Well, hopefully we're doing things about changing that now, and especially through work like yours. John, you've written quite a few books on, on different subjects. How, how many books have you written? Um, three. So the, other, the, other, the one that three. I started two Fantastic. years ago, I still will finish, but <laughs> enough of that one. It got lost a bit. So, yeah, the last one I wrote was to help leaders to get the most from the teams in meetings because we all talk about meetings and, you know, that meetings form part of standard jokes, don't they? It's kind of things like, what's a camel? It's a horse designed by committee. There's all through society. We we know that meetings are terrible, and yet we, we also know that they're key to a successful business. So that's where I started with running meetings that make things happen. That's where that book came from. So very much designed to help the quieter people in meetings. Ninja networking, which is very much around helping people to build their network and use their network. And it's a system. The system in the book is about helping quieter people to build a network because introverts can network actually incredibly effectively. And yet, again, everyone assumes that you go to a room, you know, one of these buffet lunches or dinners, or town hall meetings or whatever it is in the business, and we make this assumption that the people that are loud and holding court are the effective networkers. Not necessarily. So Ninja Networking was around that. The go-to expert I, I co-wrote with my ex-business partner, which is very much about helping people to become the expert in their particular niche. Great. Well, these are all fantastic things for, for us to touch on. And I would like to get a few thoughts from you about networking, because this is a topic that I often will find myself talking to my coaching class around. I do a lot of networking, something I didn't used to do. I, I used to think that networking was going to chambers of commerce meetings and having business cards thrust in your face and uh, people really trying to find out how useful you are. And as soon as they realize you're not, <laughs> they've already moved on. Um, and that's what networking was for me for the longest time until I started finding some networks that were not like that, that were more focused on friendships and valuing people and, and other things besides sales and usefulness. So what are your tips and advice for people around networking? Okay. And I think you, you touched on the first one. Boom. It was like, yeah, all these meetings where people go to and, you know, here's my business card. Great. That's going straight in my bin. But Meetings are great. Networking meetings are great. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't ever go to them, but networking meetings are meetings. They are not networking. That's the way I look at it. The way I would mm. then go on to sit there and say the networking is what you do with individuals. And you're doing it for a purpose. But you asked some tips. So how about this? First of all, I'd say, what is it you're trying to get what are you trying to achieve from your networking? And be a little bit, you know, the old goal thing, be a little bit specific with it. Oh, yeah, I want to get more business. That's not going to help you. But I want to get, I want to generate this. I want to generate this type of business. I want to generate this much of it. So that's fine. You've got a specific goal. The next question is, who of all the people you know, and perhaps a couple that you don't, who of all the people you know are best placed to help you achieve that goal? Now, and pick on this great, great example. I was working with one client once and he said, ah, oh, yeah, I've got 30 or 40 people. I said, now pick on five. He said, no, but I know what I said, no, just five. And then I said, do a relationship audit with them where you create, if, if you like, put it, put a flip chart the way I did it, post it note for each person and just very good relationship down to okay relationship and I can give you definitions around those, but that'll do for the moment and go, where is that relationship? So the key point to it is how can you take it up to the next level? Because rather than, rather than just going, Oh yeah, I know, I know Fred and he's, he's in my network. What am I doing? If Fred's one of the top people in my network, the most able to help me, what am I doing to improve my relationship with Fred? What am I doing to help Fred? I'm asking Fred to help me. What am I doing? To, so start to focus on the quality of the relationship, but you can't do that with everybody. You know, it, 
I'd love to. And right. there's that old networking saying, you don't know who the, your contact doesn't, you know, knows. And that's absolutely true. But this is about prioritization and the amount of time we've got. So pick the most imp- people most likely to get that and focus on developing that relationship to the next level. And then when you start to do that, you get to the point where instead of going, oh, and you know, this particular client said, yeah, well, I, I do that. I know all my most important people and I know their wives' names and I know their children's names. And I said, but is it a business-based relationship or is it just, you know, you take them out for dinner once a month? And so we started to refocus right. it around business. And you've got to you've got to get the business part in first for the friendship to kick in where lots of people go wrong. Salespeople particularly they start on all the being nice in the friendship piece and they never really get as far as the business piece. It goes the other way around. Sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people make that mistake uh, with online sales approaches these days, right? Uh, they want to be your friend on Facebook or LinkedIn and as soon as you accept, they're sending you a sales message and uh, oh. yeah, people are getting very wary of that kind of thing. But, you know, people don't really know or I think a lot of people miss out on this aspect of nurturing their mm. network and like, a network is one thing but a nurtured network that you actually care about and as you say have deeper connection with outside of perhaps just work situations is uh is much more valuable to you because they're, they're your friends then yeah. they, and your friends will do mm. more, will do stuff for yeah. you and you'll do stuff for them and that's and what it becomes that, like that's the key you, point to it isn't it and, and of course the other interesting yeah. thing with that is that developing that the strength of the relationship takes time and so the more time you're, you're spending focused on the relationship, that's that it takes a while to pay back. Of course, I, I've been to a networking meeting, the same sort of you have with chambers and whatever. And I happen to have been lucky enough once to walk into one and I met somebody and that somebody placed some business with me straight away. But let's be completely honest, that's rare. The other kind of thing mm. is much more common and really what we're looking for where you know, somebody I've known for seven years, in fact, I got to know them at the first I, I once joined a networking group a number of years ago, and I still get I get more business from that group now than I used to when I was actually in it, because the quality of the relationships that have continued to build over the years, and I think that's the key point to it. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely vital. But, but the other thing with oh, that, great. Is, that gives just, us just the one quick one I'll add to that is that the reason I said introverts are greater. This is all one to one stuff. It's not the going out and doing the stuff that introverts hate. It's not all the small talk. It's one-to-one relationship building, and introverts are good at that. And they do it quietly behind the yeah, scenes. Yeah, I must admit, I, I've been doing this thing called Lunch Club. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's it's an online networking group, and they set you up based on your profile and what you're looking to get out of your networking. They match you up with people in the network you're also looking to meet. And that it's one-to-one meetings for around 30 to 45 minutes. And you can set up one, two or more a week, depending on how much you want to. And I find that great. I've met some incredible people. They actually do a very good job of matching people up. And so I've had lots of interesting people, great conversations, some great, great sales leads and uh, picked up some podcast guests through it as well. It's been really, really good. And I'm seeing more that some of the online networking groups are using things like Hopin, for example, where you can have a group session and then send everyone off into, what would you call it, a networking roulette. You get you go into the pool and then you get matched up one-to-one mm. meetings again with people there. It's a really nice way of doing it, and I find that that works very well. And, and you're right, I love that one-to-one thing. I, I struggle a bit more with like things like breakout rooms in Zoom, where it's like five or more people, yep. and and you know, I'm, I'm find myself doing that patiently, waiting my turn thing. But again, that, that's the trouble: is introverts tend to perform less effectively in larger groups like that for all the reasons we said earlier. They won't just cut into the conversation because they've got to feel there's a real value to it. And if somebody keeps talking. We're our own worst enemy in many senses for that. If they're going to keep talking, just let them. Yeah. Well, I'm not doing myself any favours, but it's it's the, in the nature of it. Yeah. I think perhaps this is one of the reasons why I like being a public speaker, that I can take to the stage uh, and I don't have to compete. Mm. <laughs> I, I can be on the stage and, and I'm naturally in life, I feel a very intentional speaker. Like you're saying, introverts think to speak. I very much do. And, and I find that 
I plan very well what I want to say for any of my talks and presentations, as anyone should. But I can now improvise and riff and stuff. Those are things that I've developed over time. But I love being on the stage, not just because people can't ask me back. Like I want interaction. I want them to, to be some, <laughs> some relationship. But I think it, it fulfills that kind of thing, actually being able to be heard and to be heard with your intentional speaking, like what you are meaning to get out there, put it out into the world that often otherwise gets ignored or shouted over. And, mm. and yeah, I can see why a lot of introverts find themselves in public speaking. And, and isn't that strange? Because a lot of one of the other myths that's around a lot, and I've heard him said to me, John, you can't be an introvert because you like speaking on stage. What? Yeah, there are huge numbers of introverts, and I'll put together an argument quite often that says introverts make better public speakers because they tend to be thinking of the audience. Uh, there was a great poll a friend of mine ran on LinkedIn recently. Uh, what? Why is it that people are speaking? And a lot of them are speaking because they want to speak, because of their ego. If I'm on stage and I'm better, you're the same. You're thinking about the audience, John. And what are they getting yeah. from it? And that is a much more, I'm not going to say that it's only introverts that do that, but it's a natural introvert style to be that way around. Yeah. I, I think it would be nice to move into talking about your insights into becoming an expert in your niche, because I know that it's some, something that comes up a lot in episodes of people. And we've had personal branding experts on the show, content marketing creators and advisors and things like that. What kind of insights and advice do you generally offer to people around this rising up to expert status? I think the first thing I'm going to say is that, and it is about rising up as a status, but the, the, the key thing is choosing a niche. A lot of people go, oh, no, hang on, I'm, I'm, I don't want to narrow my audience. And there's this mental block and the number of the people I've worked with, no, I don't want to narrow my audience because there's this connection with, if I narrow the audience, I'm going to appeal to less people. Well, actually, you're going to, if you've got a narrower but deeper niche, you're going to appeal to more people that have got the same kind of thinking processes, the same kind of problems, because you're going to understand them in more detail. If you're an expert in a particular yeah. field, or if you're whether you want to call yourself an expert or a, um, I'm, I'm a specialist or whatever you want to call yourself, you're going to be more valuable to the people in that field than somebody who's much more of a generalist. Because although the generalist might answer, talk about some of the problems, they're going to talk about it in loads of different things. So I think the first thing is, why would you do it? And generally speaking, you become more valuable. And there's a lot of research shows that you can charge higher fees if you're a specialist in your niche or if you're an expert in your niche than just being good at what yeah. you do. So that's the first thing. The next thing, the big one I would always say yeah. to people is stop and listen. Because although I could, you, know, you and I could roll a dice right now and pick on any profession we liked, and I bet you we could name the top three problems that that profession have. We're not going to do it, but, but I bet we could. Because all yeah. professions have the same problems. However, if I went to lawyers, let's say, and started talking about the problems they have, which will be the same as the problems that, I don't know, welders have, welders will use completely different language for it. And so if I go to the, one, the wrong one and use the wrong language, I don't sound like an expert in that niche. So the first thing is to really start to listen and do some research to understand what it is that they see as the problem all that you've got to put your preconceptions to one side it's not about what your words for their problem what you're really trying to learn is their words for the problem how they describe the problem because it will be different to how other people describe it in different niches because we all every category of people almost uses different words that describe often exactly the same thing so start to listen to that then start to use those words back towards your niche and that's probably the simple, mm. some of the simple things I do. And, and there was one, one accountant I was working with, and uh, he wanted to, he had a great expertise in construction, and he's doing very well now by specializing in small construction companies. But his website was very general. And one of the first things we did is just a silly little thing of changing the colors so they were a bit more butch and buildery. It was a bit pastely and 
not so buildery, and then change the images. So there were, lots of them were stock images, like lots of us use. Mustn't. But he changed them for mm-hmm. images on construction sites. Even just those few changes meant he got a lot more people ringing him up from the website. So it really is about the language and the type of things that, that people in your uh, the niche you want to be start to attract them by changing the simple things. Makes sense. What, in your opinion, makes someone an expert? <laughs> the one thing I would say, and I was running a poll on this recently as well, is particularly introverts don't like to call themselves experts. And I would always say, you cannot call yourself an expert. Somebody else can call you an expert. I can say I specialize in, so I will say them and say I specialize in introversion. I would not say I'm an expert in it. Now, one of the tendencies today in marketing is, yeah, yeah, I'm brilliant at this, and it gets very, very shouty. And I've had a, on my podcast, I've been interviewing a couple of marketing experts in the last two or three weeks. And as they say, marketing has become very shouty, but lots of it, we assume it's successful because it's loud. It comes back to this extrovert bias again. But actually, if you look at it, the ones behind the scenes, the ones where there's quiet bits going on are the ones where it's much more effective. So I think the key piece that I'm getting to is to sit there and say, right, what are the exact words that really make people say yes? And I don't go, I'm the expert. They can tell me I'm the expert. If, if it needs to be from using more testimonials, brilliant. If I need to get a couple more quotes from people, brilliant. But it's other people that can say you're an expert. Do you, do you have any thoughts or insights into identifying the not experts who are marketing themselves as experts? <laughs> Sorry about that. You made me, I think it depends on the niche and I think there's all sorts of things, but I think one of the often things I often do is to sit there and say, okay, what I often talk about marketing by educating rather than selling. What are the five problems uh, with what are the five things that co- where, where does coaching often go wrong? What are the five things that often go wrong with coaching? What's the difference between a really good coach and a really bad coach? Or in one example, which I did with my with a client of mine, she was having a really rubbish time at networking meetings, and I said, "Oh, just chill out a minute." And her big competitor was going there, putting loads of artwork around the meeting, and and she was getting really fed up with it. And I said, don't try and compete with that. That's just shouty. So I said, how can you tell a good photo from a bad photo? And she listed to me about half a dozen things. And I said, what's in a bad photo? And she listed half a dozen things. And I said, now, be honest with me. Are your photos, do they have the good or the bad? She slapped me, but that was fine. Metaphorically, she said, you can't ask me that. I said, no, got to be honest. Do your photos have good and not bad? Do your competitors have more or less of the good or bad? And she said, no, to be fair, they do have more of the bad. So I said, don't go and trash your competitor. Go and educate your audience on what a good photo is. Because then they make their own mind up. And the way she did this, first of all, was all about educating people on what good and bad is in in that particular category. But the way she did it was to sit there and say, and start talking about holiday photos. And so... She started talking about other people's holiday pictures. They came around her and she started telling them what is in the good photo and a bad photo and how to define it. In the three months following that, she had more business from her networking than she'd ever had before. Because they started to see... A good way to think about it. Yeah, I like that, educating the audience and uh, you don't have to badmouth your competitors in order to be able to do no, that. not at all. I think what, one of the concerns, one of the concerns I see in the coaching industry right now particularly is there are some exceptional people who are teaching marketing for coaches, for coach, coaching businesses, and there are hundreds of people who are identically copying their materials their IP and their marketing strategies, which fair enough, they are teaching those marketing strategies to people, but uh, people who are almost copying word for word other than changing the names. And in some cases, they're not even that subtle. (laughs) But it gets harder 
to weed out who actually is authentic and who isn't. And I think really the uh, you, you can get some initial sense and you're right, there's, you try and compete on your own terms, but nothing quite re- also replaces doing a little bit of homework on, on oh, people and checking I mean, my, out what they've actually got going. My classic one with coaches, and I, I've said this one frequently, but some of the networking meetings I'd go to, people were bombarded with coaches. And I'm sure you've, you've seen it happening too. And I said, if you want a question to fend off coaches and stop them and get them to go away is one question you ask them and 90% of the coaches that approach you at networking meetings will fail the question and they'll run away and the question is who coaches you because if you've got a coach that doesn't have a coach what does that say about their belief in what they're selling you and I think it's the same for lots of other things but it's not about going I want to work with your your coach because my coach the coach I need is very different to the coach you'll need but if they don't have a coach, what does that say? We might have gone a bit specialised for some of your audience there, John, but uh, but I think it's, it's shocking, really. No, I, I think that's a good thing because even with even in any industry, you want to know you you should be able to get a good idea of how your coach is improving themselves as mm. well. Like if they're not working on improving themselves still, then uh, should you be entrusting them with your yeah. long-term improvement? And it's the same It's the same with any profession. If you've got a web designer who's got an appalling website that doesn't exhibit what she says is good on a website, what does that tell you? If you've got a graphic designer yeah. with an appalling logo, what does that tell you? Yeah, yeah. If you've got a public speaking coach who never actually does any public speaking, oh, that would you a lot. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen people coming into the space that I work in who have no business being mm. in the space at all. Uh, but I've also seen them going away just as quickly. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's funny how how things phase like mm. that in in the world of industry. People like to jump on bandwagons, but the upside of that is they also jump off them pretty quick and onto the next yeah, one. So. True. It's always good with that. Okay, great. And so when it comes to uh, making yourself known as, as an expert online, do you have any particular pointers for that? Should there certain types of content people should be focusing on or certain ways of connecting with people that should focus on? I think the content is the important piece, and I think it really is about providing useful content that, that helps others. And that doesn't necessarily mean you've got to write six blogs a day or whatever, but what's going on? that you can help other people with? Have you got useful articles out there? Are you sharing useful articles? Are you going out and helping people that pose questions? So quite often, even even silly, in inverted commas, things like Reddit, and we'll have forums on things, and I'll I'll sometimes sit in there and I'll read through through it because it's great research for me. Oh, here's a load of things that people are talking about introversion. Brilliant. And well, that can form the basis of A, some blogs, B, some research questions that I go and ask other people. But at the same time, I answer some of the questions for these people and they're incredibly grateful. And so I think yeah. I think when it comes to social media, that's a specific example, but sharing great content, answering questions. But and people, and people often say, oh, but if I answer all the questions, they won't come and work with me. There's a great deal of difference between knowing the answer to something and implementing it. You know, I, right. I could, I could tell you exactly how to build a, uh, a kitchen. Am I any good at fitting it? No, I'd rather, what, what would you rather have? Somebody that, somebody that comes along and just tells me what to do with it or somebody that actually does it for me? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's important who you learn mm. from and, and how you do it and how you teach, how you put yourself yeah. out there. Great. I think that's valuable. I have uh, a friend, John Esperian, if you ever come across John. John is, uh, his tagline is about being relentlessly helpful. Mm, it's one like tagline it. I really like. Yeah, I, I like that. We could all do. We could all do with being a bit more relentlessly helpful mm. at times. And it certainly helps to you. I know that if I have a question for someone like John and I go and ask him, I will probably get a video message back that gives me a really clear and uh, informed answer on that as well you know not just some message of oh sorry I, i'm busy right now or oh try this off you pop kind of mm. thing uh, but no a genuinely yeah. really helpful guy and uh, and you know it shows in his results i think yeah. that, that something we that can all learn from something we can all learn mm. something from 
Absolutely. What I do, you have some books and resources, which is yep. great, and I hope people will come and check those out. What are the books and resources that you would recommend if myself or someone else comes and asks you, hey, John, what books would you recommend that I read? Oh, great question. I'm sitting there going through my library now and I'm going, oh, I should have really thought about this one beforehand because uh, I think when we first sat down, I think, ah, oh, yeah, I've forgotten because I've read about six more since then. What, one that I read recently, which was incredibly good, was uh, An Introvert's Guide to World Domination, which sounds a bit anti-introvert, but it was a, it was a very, very good book about introversion and about helping people that are in business to to become more dominant so that was a great one that was by a guy called nick shelton second one that is a, is a much older one but in many ways we've been talking about people growing businesses and one of the, the although it's i said it's old but the e-myth michael gerber is i think it's a i don't know i think it's a classic book and it Yes, you can change the examples, and you and I could spend half an hour and go, oh, yeah, here's better examples. But I think it's an absolutely great book for making you think about what you're doing with your business and the way you do it. And so those are two that I'd, I'd go I back love to. I that book, yeah, mm. yeah. That's one that's always worth revisiting, I find. Mm. But there's certain books that always make it onto my reread, revisit yeah. list, and that is one mm. of them. So fantastic, great suggestions. Where is going to be the best place for people to find out more about you or connect with you? My website is introvertsinbusiness.co.uk. So that's a really great, simple one. And from there, people can find me or wander and find me on LinkedIn, which is LinkedIn. My name is John Baker. That's J-O-N-B-A-K-E-R. So that's linkedin.com slash in slash John Baker. Yeah, maybe we'll, I, I like hanging out on LinkedIn. Yeah. I spend probably more time there than just about any other social network. Yeah, I've, I've, I like Twitter, but I've got to be honest and say I've, I find it less useful now. There seems to be lots more very biased debates, biased in either direction of whatever they're debating. I think uh, let people go on with that. Yeah, I, I get you, but I still have a bit of a Twitter addiction as it well. It is I'm nice, I've got to say. But, <laughs> so on Twitter, I'm, on Twitter I'm diving John, and I'm diving John on most social media because I love spending time under the water. We didn't talk about that much today, actually, John. So. We didn't, and uh, it's not generally something ten, people tend to do <laughs> along with public speaking, which perhaps is why we didn't get onto that so much today. Mm. But uh, diving is great fun. I, I love it. And I, I haven't done very much of it. I'm more of a snorkeler than, than a diver. But my, my cousin, who is a diving instructor, very kindly took me diving and still waiting to, for the opportunity to go and give it another go. Yeah. Well, but, when yeah, you get the chance, a lot of fun. Go. it's brilliant. I, I definitely will. John, anything that you would like to leave the audience with today? No. Well, yes, then. Isn't that funny how the way we answer questions like that? No and, well, actually, I mean, yes, definitely there is. So a couple of thoughts I'd leave you with if you haven't picked it up already, which is about to think about the people you're con talking to. My mum used to say to me something which I later discovered was wrong. She said, speak to others in the way you want to be spoken to. And it's like, no. Speak to others in the way they want to be spoken to. So change your communication so you're thinking of the other person a lot more. That's a great piece of advice for everyone and one that I will take with me. Um, please, I hope you've got some uh, value from the episode that you've been listening to. Find one thing in the episode, that if it, whether it's that, changing your communication or anything else that you like, at least one thing from this episode that you can put into action in your own life to make some improvement or to perhaps help out the introverts in, in your environment or help yourself out if you are an introvert as well. John Baker, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thankfully, technology and other things did not get in our way this time. And so it's been really great to speak to you thank you no, it's been great thank you very much for your time thanks for tuning in i hope you've enjoyed the show if you did please make sure you put something into action that you learned here today and of course subscribe to the show if you haven't already done so if you'd like to support the show, one of the best ways for you to do that is to share our episodes with your network. Now, of course, share the episodes that you love, perhaps more than the ones that you don't, but word of mouth makes a huge difference to us. And you can now support the show financially as well, even just by buying me a coffee 
For five US dollars a month, you can help make the Speaking Influence podcast an even bigger and better show. There's also a membership level where you can get exclusive access to our live stream recordings to be in the virtual studio with us and exclusive Q&A time with our show guests, as well as advanced information of the shows and guests that are coming up. To do that, visit the Supercast page in the show notes or in the YouTube description. If you'd like to know more about podcasting, presenting, public speaking, tools of influence and persuasion, or maybe have me as a speaker at one of your upcoming events, then please do get in touch by email, john at presentinfluence.com, or come and find me on social media. I'd love to connect with you, even if it's just to say hello and let me know that you've enjoyed the show. For now, see you next time, and go and make great things happen.